Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Welcome to Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina, a podcast series devoted to the teaching of rhetoric and composition with and through a range of media and focusing on the writing program at St. Louis University. On this podcast, we interview instructors about how and why they use multimodal approaches, and we have instructors interview other instructors about the nuts and bolts of particular tools and assignments. In today's episode, Lauren Turbrock-Elmstead has a conversation with Nathaniel Rivers and Sheila Corsi about the relationship between the writing program and the Compass Lab, as well as the potential future directions of the lab amid the challenges of COVID-19. Hi there, this is Lauren Turbrock-Elmstead, PhD candidate in the SLU English Department. Joining me today are two faculty members in the English Department. First, we have Dr. Sheila Corsi. She joins us this year as Assistant Professor and Compass Lab Coordinator, coming from the University of Michigan's Department of English, Language, and Literature. Welcome both to today's episode and to SLU in St. Louis. Thank you, Lauren. I'm very excited to be at SLU and I'm very excited to be here on this episode. Also joining me is Dr. Nathaniel Rivers, Associate Professor and Writing Program Coordinator here in the English Department. Welcome. Uh, thank you. I'm also excited to be here in this episode. And I guess it's Lou. So, Sheila, your primary research is more focused on literature, um, particularly medieval and early modern drama, as well as digital humanities. This is a bit of a shift for the lab, um, as supervisors have traditionally come from more of a rhetoric and composition background. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences in these intersecting specialties? How does your um, expertise in these areas augment the functions and presence of the lab? Thank you, Lauren. That's a great question. Um, So my background in literature is actually in uh, late medieval and early modern English theater. And much of my research is looking at um, narratives of crime that move through uh, theater as well as many other mediums in early modern England. So in my research, I look at kind of the transmutation of crime narratives from things like legal documents uh, to public pronouncements to broadside ballads uh, to drama and then back again. So this idea of a a kind of continuum rather than a finished product. Um, And so when researching those, I was really interested in this idea of that uh, kind of transmutation, right, that process through which a crime narrative moves um, through these mediums and how that becomes a space of public collaboration, which led me to think about uh, those historical crime narratives in conversation with uh, contemporary true crime podcasts. So uh, my research became really anchored in the idea of um, the podcast as a genre in kind of uh, multimodal forms of storytelling around, uh, specifically around crime narratives. Um, And that really led to, in my teaching, um, a a desire to kind of reflect that practice in the classroom. So in the rhetoric and composition classes I taught at the University of Michigan, I would always include a multimodal composition component in which students would um, think about how to um, create a product that included a kind of embodied uh, presentation of their authority, of their writing. And this is where the drama background absolutely comes in, thinking about um, how that process of composition contains right, all of these different scaffolds and steps. Uh, So for example, in a satire and composition course that I taught, uh, uh, students were creating a kind of last week tonight, John Oliver-esque long form satiric journalism, where they would be researching, scripting, and practicing and editing uh, that form. So both in kind of research and teaching, um, my interest has always been kind of the really kind of productive collaborations that you can have uh, between literary research and focus on uh, forms of composition. 
This is all really exciting for me as a rhetoric and composition student because our field does tend to focus more on the process more than the product. And this is something that we certainly focus more on in our English 1900 class. You know, we have students working toward different iterations of the same topic and research all semester long. So Nathaniel, you are the former Compass Lab coordinator and the current writing program coordinator, and you were on the search committee for Sheila's position. What are you most looking forward to with the directions of the Compass Lab? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, mostly at this point, it's just excitement. So I think I, you know, I, I, this was the first time that we had hired someone specifically with an eye towards coordinating the lab. So previously it was sort of more of a, not, not entirely this way, but it was someone in the department already who was then tasked with coordinating it, right? And so it had a more purely administrative vibe. And I think what was really useful for us was to have to articulate in a job search and a job ad and then in interviews, right? What does the lab mean to the writing program and what does it mean to the department? So we had to be a lot more intentional and then because we brought Sheila in to coordinate it, in addition to teaching in the department, it gave it a kind of a more sense of urgency. We'd sort of finally recognized the lab for what it was um, and that we went out seeking somebody that had a vision for that lab, that had an enthusiasm for it, um, which is not to say that, that previous coordinators didn't, but it's, there's something to be said about sort of publicly investing in it as opposed to within the department sort of coordinating it. So that's what I'm sort of generally excited about is just that the lab feels different in the department now because we've brought in someone to coordinate it. And then we brought in Sheila, who brings in this different perspective, which you've already sort of noted, right? It brings in this, I think, particularly this, the, the theatrical stuff and the ways in which she's built in multimodal components into her project. Um, and then sort of in terms of just the, the moment that we're in, that part of what I'm really excited about is the ways in which instructor resources are being more foregrounded in the lab. So in past iterations, we really saw ourselves as primarily an interface for students. Um, and, and sort of Sheila's been shifting that and toward thinking about um, resources we can generate for instructors. Um, and that started to emerge with the podcast a little bit but I think it's much more purposeful. And one of the things that I'm also sort of thinking about going forward is the way in which Sheila is incorporating the student workers, which is something in the past they've been brought in primarily as just sort of lab attendants to monitor the equipment. And I think there's more things that we can ask those student workers to do, but also more they can get out of being in the lab. So I think sort of finally the one thing that I'm, that I'm also excited about or looking forward to is the kinds of professionalization activities that everybody working in the lab will get. And I think that's important both for the lab, but also the writing program and the department as a whole. So that's, that's sort of where I'm at thinking about the lab. Um, you brought up a really good point, Nathaniel, that, you know, we are living in somewhat of a different world today than we were perhaps when Sheila accepted the position here. It, but I, from my perspective, I feel like those shifts happened somewhat seamlessly, right? Like that we went, okay, how is the lab going to exist? 
physical space for students and instructors. And then now we've had to shift into like, well, how do we support students and instructors remotely? Um, she, is that a difficult transition for you? Like I said, I feel like it happened so easily, but. Yeah, so I think um, it definitely, it seemed like, you know, starting this job while we were also entering a semester where everyone was throwing the rule book out the window when it came to what the standard operating procedure was, right? Thinking about um, how do we totally revamp many ways of both kind of teaching and communicating with students and communicating with each other. Um, it was actually uh, somewhat helpful to <laughs> begin right at a point where everyone was kind of, uh, you know, going to, uh, you know, the blackboard and thinking about, okay, how do we, um, how do we begin a new kind of what resources do we need? Um, and not just kind of how do we, how do we kind of paper over the semester, the problems of the semester, but how do we use this as an opportunity um, to kind of have new conversations or make new resources that are going to stick with us, right? That this isn't just a kind of, it, it is right to public health emergency situation, but also how do we use this as a kind of provocation to think about access, to think about instructor and student access and outreach as well as resources. So yeah, I think in a way, starting the semester, knowing that uh, we were going to be operating both in person and virtually, it was uh, in some way helpful to be kind of somebody who was brand new and entering right th this new position that uh, we were starting from a position of we're going to have to um, not necessarily invent the wheel, right, but we're going to be kind of jumping onto a totally different vehicle. Right? <laughs> so we are going to be thinking about, you know, what we can offer, right, and what our goals are in a new way that's both uh, temporary, but also might offer some really valuable um, new resources, right, or new positions um, or new paradigms going forward. It's really exciting to see more outreach toward instructors, especially with the introduction of the online teaching kits or go bags and the resources that go along with those. But one thing I think instructors are dealing with and still trying to navigate is the fact that we used to rely so heavily on students maybe just swinging by the lab before or after class because we would all be right there on the second floor of DePair Hall. Now classes are either totally remote or they're spread around campus. So I'm interested in how both the lab and instructors can walk the line of keeping the lab space itself activated, but doing so within the restrictions we now have of say, social distancing, sanitation, and student and instructor proximity. Yeah, so that's been um, something we're still working on right in, in this semester is thinking about um, what our, uh, our kind of dual mode of operations are, right? So we have uh, social distancing rules for the physical space in the lab. No more than three students can be in at a time. Um, we've restricted some of the equipment, right, that we can check out or um, kind of had different time parameters for how long we're willing to check out equipment. But we're also thinking about, you know, when it comes to either the software, right, that we have within the lab that's anchored in our desktop computers um, or things that we are offering as, as kind of guides, how can we bring that into students' learning spaces and homes that are remote? Um, and so some of those are creating tutorials, some of those are kind of anchoring um, software that is free, right, that students can um, operate without kind of directly coming into the lab or buying subscriptions, or thinking about how to share subscriptions with faculty and students. So really expanding and diversifying our offerings uh, beyond uh, hardware, right, to think about how can 
we kind of virtually uh, share some of our resources. And so another thing that we're working on right now is uh, a Prezi or a presentation, right, that we can offer instructors to play or, or invite somebody from the lab to come into their classrooms. Um, so that's something that we're still working on. But um, thinking about how do we advertise the lab, right, in the classroom, not just as a physical resource, yeah, like swing by, but also um, advertising our virtual hours, advertising, creating kind of virtual appointments with students to talk through their multimodal projects and, and offer just different options, right, for, for students um, depending on their comfort level kind of either being on campus or being remote. Nathaniel, I have a question for you as the writing program coordinator. Have you found that these remote or hybrid models of teaching have made it easier or harder for the writing program and the lab to collaborate? I mean, I guess that in the terms of your question, I think it's made it easier because in, but in part because it's compelled them, right? We sort of have to be much more on the same page, right? In the past, we've I really saw the lab when I was running it as just facilitating what the writing program is doing, right? That the writing program has a multimodal component and the primary function of the lab is to help students deliver that. And in that sense, the Compass Lab was serving the sort of pedagogical imperative of the writing program. But now I think what's interesting is because of the online learning and even, even something as concrete as the online teaching kits, that the Compass Lab is now informing the pedagogy of the writing program. It's not simply delivering it. Um, and that, I think, is a new dynamic that's been, that's A, as a function of sort of the new scene that we're in. And it's also a function of, again, I think the, the, the new wrinkle of the status of the Compass Lab in the department. So I think sort of people already turning to it as a pedagogical resource. So in that sense, the... The, the pedagogy of 1900 um, and of other courses that, that the writing program also oversees is, is now being informed by what's happening in the lab. And that, I think, is new. Um, but that's made, I think, the relationship both easier but also much more productive, right, that we're having to respond to these things. So as, as I start thinking about how we're going to schedule courses and, you know, which ones are online and which ones are hybrid and which ones are A-B, Right. I can now make those decisions with much more confidence, knowing that there's now equipment and tutorials and guidance in place for instructors that want to do that. Um, and from the standpoint of, of the writing class, that those that's created some new some some pedagogical improvements. I mean, I remember early on in the when we switched halfway through the semester um, in the spring to online, having lots of conversations with instructors about the kinds of steps they were taking to respond to that. And not only were the steps they taking, like, that's a good way to respond to this. It's also like, that's just good pedagogy generally, mm. right? That, that as you move online, you know, one of the things that we, that we saw during orientation, right, is that instructors should be much more clear <laughs> about the expectations of their assignments. And so, which is, let's keep doing that, right? Yeah. That, and that, and in part, when you move online, so much of the communication tools you're using in the classroom you take for granted, right? All of a sudden, every aspect of writing a communication becomes something you have to think about. Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, I find that online instruction of writing or hybrid instruction is oftentimes a much more intense version because there is, in that context, there's no such thing as busy work. 
given what the goals of 1900 are, you move 1900 into an online or hybrid format that allows you to just attend with even more depth to the kinds of things the class is interested in. Absolutely. Uh, for me as a teacher, you know, it's been incredibly valuable while starting, um, you know, this coordination of the Compass Lab to also be teaching 1900 and that I um, can see both kind of what is happening on the ground and kind of questions, right, that instructors might have that I have, right, um, while teaching uh, hybrid AD classes is, you know, the transparency also between instructors and students when it comes to multimodal composition in the classroom. So, for example, when we talk about, um, you know, writing for audio, when I have students create a kind of a mini podcast assignment as a reader response. And we talk about the difference, right, between writing for audio scripting an audio episode versus just writing a reader's response. Um, we can talk about that generally, but we can also talk about, you know, it, when I am asynchronously creating lectures, right, for this class, that is much like, right, what I'm asking them to do. So um, kind of my mode of, um, you know, giving them information, right, is also um, an example, right? It is an example of what I'm asking them to do. So I think it makes me a better teacher because I am also constantly, um, um, entering the kind of rhetorical situations, right, that I am asking them to perform as assignments. This reminds me of something I have carried with me from a professor in my undergrad. Every semester he would assign his normal list of course readings, but he also made sure to always include two things every semester that he had never read before. So he would be reading and learning about a text along with us. That's always stuck with me, and I found that especially true this semester. Even though I've taught 1900 before, this semester I'm teaching it asynchronously um, online, so I've had to learn new ways to use a wider variety of equipment and platforms, and that is automatically being filtered into the ways I'm teaching my students to write multimodally as well. You know, all of this conversation we've just had is so exciting for me because as difficult as this time has been for us, there is a generative quality to it that is ultimately teaching us, you know, new things about teaching. And it's revealing new ways the writing program and lab can collaborate. Speaking of that, we have the new university core rolling out. Are there any ideas about how this collaboration might change as the core goes into effect, Nathaniel? I think that that is still to be decided. I mean, I think that to a certain extent, it won't change much because English 1900 will still serve its, basically the role of English 1900 has been sort of affirmed by the new core. Um, it's been made more public and visible by the core, so the, the nature of my work moving from the coordinator of the writing program to associate director of Eloquentia Perfecta, colon, written and visual communication, <laughs> um, has, has made English 1900 more prominent in people's minds, and it's linked to other courses now. So it's linked to a oral and visual communication course, a creative expression course, and then there's a writing intensive course, which is sort of the de facto Eloquentia Perfecta four. And I've already been in some meetings with Tim Huffman, who is in, who is the, my counterpart in the Eloquenti Perfecta II, the oral and visual communication. Um, and then he also oversees the creative expression component. And he's been meeting with people in fine and performing arts about, you know, how they see themselves represented in that. So there's, there's potential for those kinds of collaborations, but also thinking about 
we were meeting with somebody and he basically sort of reminded us that students know that something is important when they're asked to do it at least more than once, right? That's just the way you signal how important something is. So if there's something that they're being asked to do in EP1 that is then repeated in EP2 that shows up, right, that that's, and that means that, you know, 1900 will have to potentially adjust some of the things that it's doing. Um, I mean, for instance, it's written in visual communication. So that was, that was folded into the core because it links them all. Um, our approach is pretty multimodal. So that may mean in the future, we'll have to emphasize the visual in certain ways or be creative about how we approach the visual or how we pitch the visual. Um, and that will necessarily influence the, the Compass Lab, right? Because historically for the last four or five years, it's, it's primarily invested in, in the oral, in audio. Mm -hmm. um, in part because that's that was easier to incorporate you know if we do visual are we having to now get additional equipment i mean it's it's the weird institutional history right that part of what allowed the lab to expand is the sustainability uh center which is gone now kicked us out of that side of the that side of the hallway and they had to put us somewhere and because we have to be in the building they gave us a conference room and so we now had room to get stuff i mean that that is the accident of history that resulted in the expansion of the lab. Um, and so thinking about how those kinds of constraints also shape it. So that's, that will be a thing I think that will, as we start thinking about how 1900 now fits in with a sequence of eloquentship perfecta courses, how will that augment our curriculum in such a way that we then also have to augment how the lab functions. The, the other thing that, and this remains to be seen, is the writing intensive component, which is that that is going to be a big, we're bringing in, knock on wood, we're going to hire a writing across the curriculum director. Um, and a lot of what that WAC person will be doing is serving as a resource for faculty across the campus, making their courses writing intensive, right? And they'll need training and instruction and resources. Right. And part of that will be university writing services or academic student support. But how does the lab potentially factor in that? Um, you know, right now the lab is, is really tied to English 1900 for any number of, of reasons. Right. There's a fee structure in place that that students pay a lab fee in those courses, which gets them access. So we can't open up the lab to the campus, not that we necessarily want to or even need to. But as far as instructors who will eventually be teaching writing intensive courses in the next couple of years, right, what kinds of resources might they want and what sorts of resources does the Compass Lab have available? But that, that like the visual communication, that's also a question just of scale, right? How many instructors can we reasonably support given the resources that we have? Um, but I suspect in, that instructors across the campus might look to the lab and the resources that it has whether or not the lab serves them passively by just there's a website anybody can go look at the website or actively which is meeting with people and then that i think it's a, a conversation we'll have to have in the future about staffing and resources and that kind of thing but but given given i think where the compass lab will be at even in a year i think it's going to be attractive to people teaching writing intensive courses particularly if they're building in creative expression or other, you know, I think a lot of the other disciplines around campus that are thinking about writing intensive, right? I, we're already getting questions like, does collaborative writing count? Does 
technical writing count? And people start asking those questions. You're right. Well, now you're you're also going to be teaching them layout and design, and now you're getting into Compass Lab territory. And so that will be something that that I think Sheila and I will have to keep thinking about, which is what can we do, what do we want to do, and how much are we going to charge people to do that? Um, because the, both the Compass Lab and the writing program are are going to be more visible and more necessary. And and so and I think particularly when the WAC person comes in, making sure that the the writing across curriculum director. Um, myself in the writing program, Sheila in the Compass Lab, and then also University Writing Services, right? Thinking about how those four entities are going to be needed by the university as it rolls out the new core and what that need looks like. That's a class that isn't required, but it does speak to the idea you just mentioned that students tend to grasp onto the importance of things the more they're asked to do them. And I'm sorry to steal your words, Nathaniel, but you've always given the great advice that 4,000 is basically 1,900 with the training wheels taken off. So for myself, I'm interested in how 4,000 instructors might be able to utilize the lab in more productive ways as they ask students to do more of the things the Eloquentia core component asks them to do. Okay, yeah. Um, so I know, and this is, Lauren, I know that I, I'd love to kind of also um, uh, turn this question back on you in terms of where you see um, some really productive collaboration. But I know something that we have talked about um, in the past and also are looking forward to kind of um, implementing uh, perhaps in next semester is those ties between um, 1900 and 4000 and how the Compass Lab can create more of a scaled or scaffolded structure in terms of how we're working with 1900 and the resources that we're offering and preserving. Um, yeah, the kind of sense of training wheels that, you know, these 1900 students are not creating professional products. Products, um, but that those are then possibly training them to then go into 4000 and uh, uh, complete kind of uh, projects quite similar with the expectation of um, professionalism. And I know that in 4000, right, there is a, a focus on um, professionalization, which uh, as somebody who has been on the job market very recently, um, you know, uh, I think there's a really rich discussion going on about, you know, professionalization access, right, what that means um, to different um, universities, to different professions. Um, and I, I think especially the, the relationship between uh, professionalization and Cura Personalis um, at SLU, that there's a lot of opportunity for thinking about, you know, uh, taking kind of the soullessness of kind of branding <laughs> or things like that um, and kind of putting the idea of professionalization, of thinking about yourself in relationship to a profession, in relationship to the world, in relationship to different discursive communities as as um a really kind of both uh, productive and personally meaningful um, journey in 4000 that we can help implement both passively by teaching people right how to how to use or kind of utilize um, perhaps different resources we'll be taking on in the lab if we have the time and space um, but also you know helping facilitate kind of the pedagogical experience right of of professionals of teaching uh, professional writing I just want to just take off from that I mean first of all I like where Sheila's head's at in terms of just thinking about attributes Right, so the idea that now, right, English four thousand, we can submit it to get the Cura Personalis three attribute added to it, um, and a writing intensive attribute, and while we're at it, a creative expression attribute. Um, we don't want to get too greedy, but you know, I mean, it's rhetoric; it's nothing, so therefore, it's everything, um, as people are wont to say historically. But I think I, yeah, thinking about all those sort of things that that 
potentially are, are alive in 4,000. And, and going back to what I was saying earlier about the ways in which the Compass Lab is informing the pedagogy of 1900, that I think, right, is there, is there ways in which we can, that the lab can make itself available such that instructors can start to st st structure their English 4,000 courses around what the lab has available, as opposed to sort of getting at a point in the semester and then sending students down the hall to use the equipment. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think generating some resources, but then I think it's also just a question that, that Sheila's already thinking about, which is what kinds of software can we make available for students, right? So let's say in English 1900, they're using PictoChart, and in English 4000, we introduce them to InDesign, right? Which involves both making InDesign available, um, but also, right, how does teaching them how to use in design um, right. and what kinds of instructional and teaching instructors how to teach students how to use in design right I mean those are mm -hmm. those are I think lofty goals for that course but that will involve some sort of thinking through how those things work um, and yeah I think and that again is is part of what's exciting about the compass lab right that that's now the compass lab informing not just the pedagogy of a particular course but thinking through what is it to have a writing program Right. And historically, that's just we just sort of administered 1500 and 1900. Um, but, you know, we also have business writing. Uh, we also have technical writing. And I think those are courses with this writing intensive component. Right. As I mentioned earlier, there are lots of folks on campus interested in developing writing intensive courses. There are also stakeholders on campus not interested in doing that. Right. Are there other courses that my students can take to get that writing intensive Right. So weirdly enough, some people see the, the whack person as a necessary help. Right. You're going to help me make my classes writing intensive. And other people see that as, oh, so I, we all have to now generate writing intensive courses. And that that's not true. Right. That that English 4000 um, and possibly tech writing, which you might move up to like 40, 20 or something like that. Right. Renumber those will be where some units send their students to get their writing intensive course completed right not not within the discipline but but within those courses um and so i want i'm excited to be able to sort of make those classes more visible and more engaging and so i think that's going to necessarily involve the the compass lab supporting those courses in my first semester teaching 4000 i realized i had been treating it the way i did 1900 classes and so far as you know introducing the lab maybe later on in the semester. And I quickly realized the error of my ways and that the students should have been utilizing the lab's equipment and resources from the very beginning. You know, to go back to your question, Sheila, about things maybe 4,000 instructors might be looking for is something like these online teaching kits or go bags, but for the collaborative student structure in 4,000. You know, maybe each student group gets a kit within the first week of coming together with an introduction to the equipment and the resources, and then they can start working with the tech from the get-go instead of being introduced to it later on. 
Yeah, I think absolutely the grand experiment of the go bags right, has has uh, yielded so many beyond, um, you know, the initial questions of, you know, instructor access, right, making sure that everyone is able to kind of teach these uh, remote or hybrid courses from wherever they are, have also uh, yielded very fruitful conversations about, okay, um, does this model work for students, right? What are the benefits of then asking instructors to send us, um, you know, I- examples, right, or kind of sample products, right, or, of what they're able to do, right, what we can do with these bags, um, how people are being uh, creative, right? Or what kinds of opportunities does it serve for new instructional resources? Um, Yes, and I think kind of planting those bags in a student group in the beginning um, before there is necessarily a set assignment, right? um, Or situation that they need to face um, and just saying like, see what you can do with this, right? Um, You know, like familiarize yourself. um, What new horizons does this open up for you? um, When those assignments come around, right? When that moment arrives, um, that the students feel at home in a kind in that kind of you know uh, technological environment. And what I really like is the idea that the students in four thousand. It's not just the means by which they'll execute their final project, right? It's also the means by which they'll organize themselves. I'm also now thinking about all the 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 tools that the lab has already has out there, right? Like this, the casting we're using now. That wouldn't necessarily be something that students would use to create their media kits. It would also be things they would use to structure their work together, right? So that in, in 1900, by in part, we simply, we largely view that the technology in the lab as helping the students to execute their multimodal project. Whereas in 4000, I think it would shift away from a delivery at the end model, and it would actually be no, it's how you're going to structure your work together, right? Are you going to be using Slack? How are you going to meet to each other? How are you going to annotate? Right, in that sense, and and that's somewhat in 4,000, right, that sometimes I'll have students actually, the first thing they do as a group is select what tools they're going to use to organize themselves. But that could be, I think, much more integrated into it, right, that that in many ways, if if instructors in 4,000 aren't scaffolding the course, right, if it's without the training wheels, then the students have to develop that structure for themselves. And that's that's, I think, something that the lab can... That's where the lab can get in early, right, to, yeah. to plant those seeds, right? Well, we helped you organize your meetings. Now we'll help you make your media kits. <laughs> that was definitely in the spring. Um, I, I was teaching 4,000 when we went totally remote over spring break. And I remember relying so heavily on the idea of like, well, welcome to the business and professional world. Everybody is learning how to do these things remotely. So, um, you know, I... I kind of kept falling back on that as like, this is a little bit of a transition for all of us, right? So if we would have had, or if I would have had that, those kinds of systems built in place earlier on in my class, then um, I think that transition would have gone smoother. Absolutely, especially given how much um, 1900 and, uh, you know, all the, uh, these other classes, right, are focused on workshopping, right, things that we are uh, kind of student interaction kind of in, independent from the, the kind of class space sometimes. That's something that I've been really impressed that instructors have used some of the lab resources to redesign, right, what a peer review workshop space looks like, right? So the instructors using kind of voice thread um, to have students um, leave comments, right, or workshop uh, multimodal objects. So not just to think about kind of assignment 
human-based things, but okay, yeah, how do you how do you um, make them learn these systems um, in a low-stakes way of interacting with each other, right, um, in which they aren't going to be assessed the same way, um, so that they, when they return, yes, that, that they're um, masters. You know, I think about in, in 1900, right, in the beginning of class, we always talk about note-taking systems, both kind of how you structure your notes on a page, but also the very nitty-gritty of, okay, like, do you use Zotero, right? Do you use Notability, right? Do you use uh, Microsoft OneNote? Like, what's your note-taking system? It can be as low-tech or as high-tech as you want, but, right, if you're going to do, be doing all this research, we need to have a conversation about um, techniques, about skills, right? Um, right in the beginning, before you do all this work, this isn't all of a sudden the project is due and you're, you know, um, you're suddenly learning all these systems for the first time. And I think, you know, uh, the, the equipment in the lab, uh, we could take absolutely the same, the same tactic. No, and that, and that maps onto the, I, I think I may have even said this earlier, sort of the ethos of, of particularly 4,000, right? Is there's no such thing as busy work in this course, right? It's all, it's all ultimately about that work of professional communication. Mm -hmm. And that includes not just the kind of things you deliver to a client, but also the ways in which on the, the sort of the back end, right? How you've actually organized yourself is itself as important, if not more important, a communicative act. And, and I think, right, there's already some of that in 1900 now. Um, but I think that is, again, something that would be much more ramped up or intense in 4000 is this class is about all the ways in which you can possibly communicate. And so, you know, emails to your teammates, emails to the instructors, deciding to use voice chat or not. Those are all professional writing conversations and, and choices. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today. Um, we're so excited to have you here, Sheila. And I think it's safe to say that the lab and its collaboration with the writing program is going really exciting places. So thanks again. If you'd like to get involved in this podcast series, to share an assignment or tool, or to pitch an interview, please contact me at sheila.corsi at slu.edu. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina.